Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, my beloved brethren and sistren, to the Tawahado Bible Study Podcast. As always, I'll hit you with the three S's, subscribe, share, and support. You can subscribe wherever you are, be it YouTube, Apple, Google Play, Anchor, Transistor, wherever. Share by sharing the very words that you hear and by sharing the link to where you found them. Support by subscribing to the newsletter, oxum.substack.com, or heading over to patreon.com slash tawahado. That's T-E-W-A-H-I-D-O. Without further ado, let's get into the scroll of Jude or the scroll of Judah from verses 14 to the end. We've taken our sweet time with Judah, delving into the specifics of the false teachers that are shouted out, Cain, Korah, and Balaam from Genesis and from Numbers. And when we start off here today in verse 14, you'll see that my namesake also gets a shout out which is an invitation, in my opinion, to go read where he comes from. So let's get into it today. I'll be looking at the RSV next week. Inshallah, we'll delve into John's revelation. Verses 14 to 16 of the epistle to Jude. It was of these also that Enoch, or Hanukkah, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with his holy myriads to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness, which they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own passions, loud mouthed boasters, flattering people to gain advantage. So as I said, this is a quotation in the scroll of Judah, which is considered canonical by many, but not all, but many, except the 27-book New Testament canon. And within that, you have the scroll of Jude. And here he is quoting from the book of Enoch, or Mazavahenok, as scripture. He identifies him not only as a prophet, but as the seventh from Adam. There is an Enoch who is the seventh from Adam, who is the son of Jared, but there's also an Enoch, who is the son of Cain. Earlier in the verses, he's criticizing Cain, so I'm sure he's not going to like the son of Cain. So there are two Enochs. He chooses the one who's the son of Jared and the seventh from Adam and identifies this quote as belonging to him, thus saying that book is there. Tertullian uh, does not endure to the end, does not ultimately maintain his Christianity. Instead, he goes the way of the Montanists' uh, early heresy in the church. And it's probably because he overthought he was an early hyper-rationalist. But one of the good things that he did was he gave support to the Book of Enoch. Ultimately, that support did not lend itself to convincing the West. The Dead Sea Scrolls or the Qumran community is a place where in the 20th century they found fragments of the scroll of Enoch, but of course the entirety of the scroll is only found in the Ge'ezrite. It doesn't mean the Ge'ezrite invented it. Certainly the original was either Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. 
and somehow it made it to the Ethiopians and the Ethiopians kept it for years and years and years. The Syriac, interestingly enough, who are in communion with the Ethiopians, do not accept Jude or Second Peter or Second and Third John or John's revelation. And so, as I said, you have to begin with whether or not you accept the 27 books of the New Testament as authoritative. If you do, then you should look into Enoch. If you do not, then I guess you don't have to look into Enoch. In any event, the main beef or meat of 14 to 16 here is that the holy myriads, the bodiless host, the armies of God, what is often referred to in the Hebrew Bible as Elohenu Sabaot or Yahweh Sabaot, the God of hosts or the Lord of hosts or I am that I am of hosts, is this threat that always is coupled with judgment, which is eminent and yet it is not here and we have no knowledge of when exactly it will be here. But Jude is forewarning his community not to associate with these false teachers because the same judgment that Enoch speaks of in the book of Enoch will befall these false teachers. So do not go in their way. They are grumblers. They follow their own passions and they flatter people to seek power. Grumbling reminds us of Psalm 2, and you see that Psalm 2 critiques both the nation and the nations, the people and the peoples, Israel and the Goyim, the people so-called of God and the people so-called not of God. Everybody can catch some of the smoke of the judgment of God. So these people do not want to be obedient to the teaching of God, so instead they all follow their own teachings. They have no consistent ideology outside of seeking power constantly, using flattery as a means of gaining that power. In that way, you could refer to them as Machiavellians. And you must ask yourself, who do we see that are like that today? And of course, we must first question ourselves, our own communities, and then and only then do we look externally. Verses 17 to 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who set up divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. Here, it is clear, those who divide congregations and communities are devoid of the spirit. We see this in the larger sense of the branches of Christianity or the denominations. We see it in smaller steps between so-called conservative Christianity and so-called liberal Christianity. We see it at the level of our diocese. We see it at the level of our parish. We may even see it in our own family. Wherever we see it, we need to realize that those who are of the spirit are united, are in fellowship, are in participation, are sharing with one another. And those who are causing divisions, which in Proverbs it says that the soul of God abominates or despises or really hates above all else, those who sow seeds of discourse, uh, excuse me, seeds of discord, those who sow seeds of division, then we should realize that if we want the Holy Spirit, we should be people of unity rather than people of discord and of division. Verses 20 to 23. But you, beloved, build yourselves up 
on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And convince some who doubt. Save some by snatching them out of the fire. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I, I would love for someone in my audience to tell me what the garment spotted by the flesh means. The RSV here says the Greek itself is not clear. And this is just another example that shows you that the studying of the scriptures is a lifelong process. Just because I'm doing an episode on it now and I did an episode on it four years ago doesn't mean I've mastered the epistle of Jude. I have to keep reading it and rereading it, hearing it and rehearing it. And I hope by hearing it uh, today, you will be able to explore it with me and perhaps give me some sort of clue that I miss. So in any event, the main portion of 20 to 23 here is that we should love each other while we mercifully await that great judgment day that was said a few verses earlier. And before that day happens, by continually remaining in a literate, intentional community that reads aloud and recites the word of God and tries to live a life worthy of glorifying God with our lips, by glorifying God with our actions, we may be able to save some people. Some people may be in a worse situation than us, and they may see our obedience and rejoice in our obedience, and they themselves may repent, which is to say, ask for forgiveness of their past sins and turn their life around in 180 degrees, not 150 degrees, not 160 degrees, not 179 degrees, but 180 degrees, fully around to face the Lord and to continually walk towards him. We'll see that topic of saving in the last verses here, which is really a benediction. Verses 24 to the end. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. So the first thing here that we can learn is that it picks up the idea of Savior. In the line before, it tells you to save some. It's telling the audience, save some people. You have the capability, save some people. And then in this line, it says God is our only Savior. This may cause people to stumble. When it says save some people, it doesn't mean in a vast eternal sense. It doesn't mean that you're the judge. The only judge is God. And so ultimately, the only savior is God. But by leading people into a life of obedience to him, you can participate in their salvation. But you're not doing the saving. They are. So you can see the words are being used in different senses, even when they are the same words. So we have to take note of that. And I know a lot of people ask me, how is it that you learn how to pray? A lot of people are interested in freestyle prayers. They realize the church has a lot of written liturgical prayers. The key thing is the way you learn how to pray is by reading scripture. You repeat the words of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit back at the Spirit. So 
it's good to have some free form. It's good to make your own requests. But never let that be the only way in which you speak to God. Make sure you speak to God using the words he gave you. So the next time you pray, you can say, God, according to your will, help reveal to me how to love neighbors, enemies, and strangers. And in the meantime, allow me to render unto you glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, both now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Is the 